Good evening, and uh, welcome to episode 54 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from VMworld, uh, the hang space at VMworld, uh, so our mobile Cloudcast studios. Uh, today, Aaron's riding shotgun as well. Aaron, yeah. how are you? Doing great, doing great. So, real quick before we get uh, into our guest, um, I, was, I was reviewing the shows. Um, where did 52 go? Yesterday we did 53, this is 54. What happened to 52? 52 is the long lost episode for now. Okay, so it's the uh, the Beatles album that yes. may never come out. Yes, right. it may or may not see the light of day. We shall see. So, so very very cool. So, uh, you know, so one of the things that's been uh, you know bantered around a lot this week is um, OpenStack has had some things coming out. You know, vCloud's has some things coming out. You know, a lot of discussion of like these these cloud technologies and how will they play for service providers. Uh, today's guest is Simon Aspinall, uh, Chief Marketing Officer of VirtuStream. Uh, for anybody who's listened to the show, you know, I don't know, a couple months back we had uh, Rodney Rogers, CEO of VirtuStream, on the show. Um, you guys are a really interesting service provider. So welcome aboard, Simon. Uh, Thank you. Good to meet you guys. You and I are former colleagues at Cisco. We've uh, got a little bit of background. You were running all of service provider marketing for Cisco. Uh, yeah, cloud and some data center as well. Cloud and yep. data center. And so real quick, give us a little bit of background um, mm-hmm. on you and then more so... What are you doing at VirtuStream, and then what's uh, talk real quick about the, the switch from going from sort of vendor mindset to, to provider mindset? <laughs> sure, yeah, really interesting change. So my background, I was at Cisco for about 10 years, ran various sales, business development, consulting, and then ultimately marketing groups. And the last few years, you and I were working together. Uh, I was running cloud marketing half the data center and the wireless businesses. So got all the sexy and interesting growth businesses in Cisco. And it was kind of at the end of that whole process that I came across VirtuStream. I was looking around at the various software companies. You could see that the hardware worlds were coming together, converging, and the value was really moving up into the software world. I started looking around the software vendors, came across this company I hadn't heard of called VirtuStream, and thought, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, And... When I dug further into what they did, it turned out that they do some amazing enterprise-class cloud capabilities. And as I read through the patents and looked at the technology, I got more and more impressed. Ultimately, to the point where I thought, hell, this is a company I should be joining. So, joined at the beginning of the year. And uh, I'm looking after marketing, vertical market strategy for the company now. And uh, it's been a hell of a ride. The last uh, eight, nine months has kept me incredibly busy. You and I were familiar with the old OEM tech world of many, many people and uh, large teams to get everything done. And to move really to a startup business with very few people, but literally no limits on what you can do is a great and very fun change for me. Right, right. And so you guys are kind of an interesting service provider, I guess. So uh, when you and I were working on stuff, it was take vendor technology, you know, and some proprietary technology, whatever. Uh, sell it to them, and then kind of have to go through this process of them figuring out how to put it together and go back and sell it. You know, sort of sell, sell through, sell. You know, provide services. You guys are much more of a kind of build your own, grow your own software. So it's so you're much more in the vein of like Amazon or like like Google, where you own the intellectual property. Yeah, you may borrow from you know what's Obviously. out there uh-huh. and, and write to APIs. How, how you know you used to sell to those service providers that had to turn it around. 
you're now on the inside of somebody who built it themselves. What's the what's the time frame difference? What's the cycle difference when between owning it and, be, and having to wait on the vendors and doing that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's it's an enormous difference. Um, we're, we're definitely a very strange case because the company originally started off as a cloud service provider. So we run and operate data centers, provide managed services to enterprise businesses, and really spent the first few years of the company developing software to run all of the hardware, all of the software elements, all the virtualization elements and bring them together. And I think during that process, we've learned an awful lot about both the strengths and the weaknesses of what's happening out in the industry today. I reckon we broke every bit of hardware, every piece of software we brought into the business and literally wrote our own management control layer to control both virtualization and hardware. And now it's really striking. We took that original software product we still use to run the managed services and launched it as a software product for enterprises and service providers. But the turnaround, the ability to be able to do things incredibly quickly is very, very powerful. And it works very well for customers as well. The minute you have a problem, give us a call, we'll go off, we'll fix it, we'll get another modification or release out. And it's... Yeah, it certainly beats the old 6, 12, 18-month development cycles that you used to get in the bigger businesses. Sure, sure. And so we talked to Ronnie Rogers back in end of May, beginning of June, if I remember correctly, somewhere right. in there. Mm-hmm. And and y'all had a big announcement coming. Yep. And so tell us a little bit about what, what, what was that was and yes. what the value is, yeah. So the software we developed to run the cloud managed services, we call Extreme. And it was really designed to be very enterprise-centric. Security, compliance, application performance guarantees, consumption-based pricing, and a hybrid delivery model. And what we launched back in June was that software is now available for end customers to pick up and use. Enterprises or service providers. Sure. So think of it as a cloud management layer you layer over the top of existing virtualization, existing hardware. In an enterprise, that means private cloud. The service provider, that means enterprise-class services for their customers. And the great thing is the combination between them of a real hybrid model. And so that's something that uh, you know you can go out to customers and say, look, you kind of offer them the option. Uh, you want to run in your data center is great. You can provide them the software. How are you finding? So you know that's been a couple of months. It's been out there. So sort of sort of an early new model. What do you find from customers operationally? You guys obviously have learned a ton. Yep. How do you transfer some of that operational DNA down to them? And you know, obviously the software's got some of it baked in, but how's that process working out with them? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. When you get into companies, either enterprises, even service providers, there is not as much virtualization or cloud knowledge as you would imagine. Right. Many people are really looking for any good operational hints, any architectural hints, any processes alongside software and capabilities. So we generally find most of the customers, you'll you'll get called in for a specific reason, I'll come back to some of those, but generally they want a little bit of professional services or advisory work. Help me define the cloud, help me define the strategy, help me identify the right first couple of things to work on. And then generally they want a bit of assistance with the onboarding process. That's probably the biggest challenge for most people is, how do I pick it up and move it across? Because people are still unfamiliar with the different types and flavors of cloud. 
So we find a relatively short professional services process, often with a proof of concept or a trial. Yeah. And the great thing about cloud is you can put them side by side. You can see it running on your own site today. You can see it running from a private or a virtual private cloud. Yeah. And you can then migrate across. So they'll do proof of concepts where they'll take an application, run it, and you're hosted, run it on their own, and then they can kind of get the feel of both. Yeah, and literally see them side by side. Um, our focus has very much been real tough, difficult, complex enterprise apps. Uh, SAP is a great example. Core piece of software running a lot of businesses. Very complex, highly individually personalized by business. We've now got over 70 SAP production platforms running on the Xtreme software. And without needing to rewrite the software, that's the really powerful element, is you can pick up, as you're running it today, app and data, move it across into either a private or a virtual private cloud environment. And when you do it side by side, it's about 30 to 40% cheaper, because you get all the multi-tenant efficiencies. Plus, it's about 50% faster. You get much better response times. And you get all of the classic cloud benefits, dynamic, scalable, on-demand. So cloning, training, those kind of capabilities. Yeah. And I, I think when we had talked with Rodney, he sort of said, look, if, if folks want to run this as a, you know, they get hypervisor bias and they want to run it as VMware, you guys can support that. If they want to run it as, you know, they don't really care. They just want the services. You can run it as KVM or uh, or Zen, and you can you yep. know, play with cost in there. So that's that's still supported as far as the enterprise version as well. It is, yeah. So it's just it, it, it's, a, it, it's a multi-hypervisor okay. cloud management platform. So we support the VMware stack. So we sit would sit above vSphere and then yep. run ESXi. We sit above Red Hat and okay. the Red Hat KVM build. Yep. So RHEL and Rev. We then sit above the pure KVM build and the CentOS okay. capability for folks who want yeah. no license, open source. We also support Zen Server and PowerVM because we've seen people wanting to move from some of the older equipment, older capabilities, onto the platform as well. Okay. And then looking forward, Hyper-V, Oracle VM, okay. we'll plug those in as well. Just agnostic about it, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it, it reminds me of, so a lot of times it was like, well... The hardware life cycle a lot of times, a lot of times, drove the applications because the applications lasted for so long, right? And then what drove the the hardware to virtualization trend was okay, that hardware is so old, I can't support it anymore. You kind of do a P2V and go into some more current hardware that has support, and you kind of move on with your life, right? Yeah. And at the same time, you're not disrupting those line of business applications that are out there today, as opposed to a lot of other solutions out there. You might have to re-architect the entire application yeah. to to fit the a solution. That's absolutely it. I think that's one of the biggest divergences in cloud today. A lot of the folks who are providing cloud software and solution sets are saying everything's going to get rewritten as SaaS, everyone is going to rewrite for virtualization in cloud, all software is going to go this way. But the reality is, if you go into an enterprise, 85, 90% of what they're doing is apps that were written over the last 20 years. They're not going to get rewritten overnight. But they're mission critical, absolutely core to the business. And you really want to have a common platform. You want to move to an efficient, low-cost, x86-based platform. You want the benefits of cloud. How do you do that? It it, it was a real eye-opener for me. Originally, we thought, oh, it'll be the web-scale companies, the gaming companies. And we've got those folks on the platform today. But actually, we're seeing a lot of interest out of old industry, older retail, manufacturing, FMCG, construction. Um, There was a 
uh, we're not allowed to talk about most of the brand names because they're too large. <laughs> we're generally like yeah, Fortune yeah. 1000 guys. But sure. A large food company that produces major brands around the US. Got plants all over the place. They're running some of their recipe books and production processes and production automation tools off software that was written 15, 20 years ago by guys who are now dead yeah. on hardware that went end of life 10, 15 years ago. And they're going, if this stuff goes down, the company will stop. You're screwed. Yeah, yeah. So they're now really saying, how do we pick that up, move it across, give me a nice, safe cloud environment? without needing to completely recompose all that software. Yeah, yeah. so you just, you just mentioned the word safe. Uh, yeah. you know, one of the things I know you guys have been working on is you know, kind of different ways of looking at security. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, one of them was you know, really getting all the way down to like silicon level security. Yeah. So yeah. What, what are you guys doing with, with Intel and with TXT and, and trying to make that secure? And then how do you, like, does that, are, can you translate that to people? Do they understand what that means in terms of levels of security? And, yeah, there's, there's some great evolution going on in the security sector at the moment. And uh, we were very proud to be the first service provider to implement Intel TXT into a cloud platform, and we have the support in the Xtreme software. So Intel TXT, for the folks who are less familiar, is hardware-based authentication of the software running on top. So it's literally checking that nothing's been inserted into the stack that you're running. So we've rolled it into the platform because it helps us with some of the really tough security and compliance concerns and standards out there. There's an amazing alphabet soup of cloud security and compliance stuff now. We've got the ability within what we do to support ISO, SSAE, the PCI, HIPAA, the government stuff, FISMA, G Cloud, even some of the really tough defense grade stuff, DIACAP, NIST 853. And some of those don't yet specify hardware based authentication, but customers are really looking for different levels of security they can pick and choose. And that ability to be able to prove that you can really go to the deepest level helps to get people over that initial hurdle. It's that Chinese, Chinese menu philosophy. Right? One of these, one of these, one of these, and you circle, 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 right? And you get it. Yeah, and, and the other element for us was our solution is really a hybrid-based solution. We find there's no black and white answer. Nobody is going to go 100% cloud. Nobody's going to stay 100% off cloud. They want to mix and match. But this means that you've really got to be able to draw security and compliance boundaries around the hybrid combination, mm-hmm. yep. which implicitly means if you want to be PCI on your own private cloud, if you want to burst somewhere, you need that to be PCI compliant, which means auditing, compliance, reporting, risk management. So building those elements into the whole process was a very important part of what was necessary. Right. So... You know, one, one of the things that we're, we sort of hear from a lot of the, the cloud providers, it's sort of this emerging thing is, um, you know, so like Amazon is sort of reaching out to people and saying, well, you can do sort of virtual private cloud, but really what you're, I mean, you know, the, the, the nuts and bolts technology is really running up at Amazon. It just gives you a way to basically build a VPN, right? You've got folks like, like Rackspace that are starting to say, well, we're doing this cloud builders program. And, and they're starting to say, well, well, we'll provide you the fanatical support down, you know, into your... Um, you guys are taking a, a little bit deeper approach into yeah. the enterprise. It's a little more... What, what do you hear from customers? I mean, the, the whole idea of, like, I'd like to run it where I want to run it, whether it's efficient or cost-effective or something. Like, what are their, their levers in that, in that whole model? Uh, it's... 
It's interesting. It's almost as much a human question as yeah. it is a technology it's question, like an inertia question, and, and and politics and control. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you are a CIO in IT department and you're used to drawing a big boundary around what you do and be able to run and control it, you want that level of control even when you start moving to the cloud. Yeah. So we find that by giving the enterprise CIO the control panel across everything you can eliminate some of those key concerns and help them move across. But I, I, let me return to your question around cloud and providers out there because I think last count I saw 1,300 cloud providers out yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> Every yeah. guy who was doing a data center or a hosting or a colo business is now a cloud guy. And, and what's, the, what's the differentiation between plain up managed services exactly. and cloud? And, and the big difference for me is most guys, what they've done is said, okay, I'm going to dedicate a rack, dedicate a connection, put some virtualization on it, that's your cloud. But in reality, that is, that's a dedicated rack running some virtualization. You're not really getting the multi-tenant efficiencies. You're not getting the dynamics. There's of nothing elastic about it. It's not truly elastic. It's not really a cloud. Right. Sure. So, our design ethos when we put this stuff together was to say, okay, it's got to be able to be multi-tenant across everything. You've got to get the scale efficiencies, the dynamic, scalable benefits. Yeah. But you've got to do that without letting the application down. How do you guarantee the compute, the network, the storage, and the memory? requirements to make the app run and I think that's where our secret source kind of sits is we have a technology we call micro VM okay. break up VMs into much smaller building blocks analyze how many are required and then have a resource pool which is guaranteed availability up to the app monitor the app the performance and if you start to redline make sure more resource comes online sure very different than the traditional <coughs> best efforts cloud model where you drop onto a public cloud, maybe you're sharing the compute, maybe you're sharing the storage, and it depends who else bounces into your area of shared resource. Yes, right. sort of noisy neighbor problem, or call it down to one big sandbox. I, I, literally, every enterprise I speak to has the same conversation. They go, oh, well, we're looking at public cloud, normally, Amazon, uh, normally AWS, and we tried it, and it was fine for test dev, but it doesn't seem to work for mission critical stuff. Yeah. And, but, and we don't understand. Netflix runs its business on Amazon. And then you go through the whole logic of, well, let me tell you how that software is written. Yes. To spin up multiple machines, test them out, turn down the ones that aren't working, and keep bouncing around. Right. So it, one of the things we were talking about kind of before we turned the recorder on, um, cloud's starting to reach that stage where, you know, if we... If we kind of get past the, you know, it's going to save you money, won't save you money, the, the more interesting conversation is always like, I have an idea and I want to do something fast, right? Um, back in the day when, when, when uh, voice was kind of getting started and you have all these new ways of doing communications, yeah. um, the, the providers, you know, the people who ran, knew how to run operations started reaching out to these, these people that basically had ideas, you know, maybe in their mind somewhere they wanted to be a provider, but more so they had a business model. Are you seeing any of that where, uh, you know, people that, that smart business guys that realize like the technology could help me do some stuff are coming to you and saying like, can I do a, you know, what we used to call like MVNO, like you know, virtual network operations. Are you seeing some of that or is it still mostly just direct to customers? Uh, no, we're seeing innovation now. And for me, that's the biggest change in the last six, 12 months is people would 
getting cloud. Now I would say most people understand that cloud is of <coughs> real benefit, and the question is what and how. Yeah. And now the innovators are coming out in both enterprise and service provider, and people are coming in going, I really want to fundamentally re-engineer how I do IT or deliver this core business. How can we do that? Or service providers are saying, okay, I've done my best efforts cloud, now how do I differentiate myself? We've got CIOs now who are literally looking at how to completely redesign their business. And the benefits you're talking about, the, the scale and really the dynamics around cloud are really changing the, di the time frame. Yeah. We've got a, um, I talked about SAP is a big complex enterprise app, but something like 70 SAP production instances running our platform. And the reason people want to move, even things like SAP, is they have a business issue. They get stuck because they're about, they've been on the same version of SAP for a number of years. They now want to go to the next version. That is a six-month process. Duplicate everything, bring in the consultants, spend a large amount of money to do that. They are fascinated when you have a conversation around, well, okay, let's make a connection between your place and the cloud. Let me stand up an image of what you do today. And you can see clouds side by side. You'll see it's faster, it's more efficient. But actually, the response times are better. And what you can do with it is much more powerful because you can have multiple images, you can train your guys up, you can experiment. And for the guys going from one version to another, they stand up a duplicate image of what they have today. You upgrade it to the new software. They can see what breaks in days they can fix what breaks, and when they're comfortable, they can pretty seamlessly transition the business across the new version. That six-month, very expensive process becomes a one to two-month, quick, relatively painless process that costs them a quarter of what it used to. Right. So it's, it, I mean, it almost sounds like, you know, so you hear like, people talk about agile development versus, yep. you're almost talking about like agile operations. Where yeah. It's like I can it's see, really I can see, you know, the difference in what it, how it'll perform, I can put it here, I can put it there, and um, for IT guys, that, that's got to be kind of a new concept, right? I mean, it's like I can flash forward, flash back, see what it's going to do, fix it. And, and, and you can put it in front of them. The, the other big challenge with a lot of IT operations is you have to manually go into every app, every instance, every VM. You have to see how to optimize it. By pulling a lot of that information up, providing it at an aggregate level, and letting the dive through, you can give the operations guy a real window across what's working, what's optimal, what's not optimal. And you can even dynamically allow them to make those trade-offs. The ops guys love it because it frees up so much of their time. Yeah. They don't really want to be tweaking and tuning. They'd much rather be working on the big problems that yeah. the business is that, that typical right? number of, you know, somewhere between 60 and 80% of IT operations is keeping the lights on. Yeah, which is fundamentally not that exciting. Right. And the bizarre thing is, even smaller businesses seeing some of the same benefits. We've now had a big run of what would be very traditional businesses. There's a company called Diesel Direct, which is these guys go out every morning with diesel fuel and go and refuel the trucks, wherever they happen to be. Their core business is making the diesel, making the truck fleets run well. And they kind of turned around, looked at the business and went, hmm, my whole business is running off a couple of servers set up in our office in this town. If the guy downstairs running that shop burns down, my business stops overnight. What do I do about that? Right. And in that case, the decision was taken, right, let's duplicate it up in the cloud, 
they got comfortable, it was working fine. Right. It's automatically backed up, DR'd anytime you need it somewhere else. But then the really interesting evolution was his IT guy or set of IT guys was maxed out the whole time. And we said, well, okay, you're running it today, but do you want any of that to be managed? Would you like us to look after the OS for you? Do you want us to patch stuff? Do you want us to keep managing even the app for you? And they say, yeah, this is great. This saves you know, the 6 a.m. Saturday morning patch upgrade cycle. Hand it over to you guys for certain apps. And progressively, people end up living a large proportion of what they do. And I think that's the other big cloud benefit is if you've got a core set of experts and capabilities running multiple customers centrally, you can offload a lot of the onerous tasks that otherwise were being run individually. Yeah, and I mean, that, that sounds like one of those things that would be prime for, you know, you know, take that example, somebody would say, well, it's, you know, it's the fuel business, it's the diesel business, but, but for them to be efficient, it's probably become sort of a data-centric kind of problem, probably an opportunity for you guys, especially if you could offer, you know, a shared analytics type of service, they don't need it all the time, but you know, you, you give that business owner twenty percent more visibility into his business. That's that's powerful, right? Yeah. He may not have the skills to go out and learn to do, but if you can provide it for him as a you know, shared service, very very cool. So yeah, and, and exactly as you say, those guys are never going to implement Hadoop or big data analytics on their own. But if you offer them a hey, do you want to use this service for a week or so? Just run it on your entire customer database, see what it turns up for you. Right. right. Really interesting. I think we're I think we're sort of running out of time. Um, this has been this has been fantastic. It's great to catch up with you guys. Really good, um, absolutely. Thank a lot you. of good stuff going on. So, Aaron, you want to you want to take us home? Sure, absolutely. So we are out of time for this week. Um, so, Simon, where can people find more about the company and what you guys have going on? Yeah. So the best place to go is uh, on the web as usual. So, virtustream.com. V-I-R-T-U stream.com. Cool. Very cool. And a uh, quick, quick um, apology, because I have a feeling there's going to be lots of background noise in this one. But, yeah, we are in the, at VMworld in the hang space, music playing down near the uh, arcade. Um, <laughs> so there's no telling how this is going to turn out. But hopefully it turned out well. Um, but certainly you guys can uh, follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or reach us on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can check out our newly designed website and you can find links to our YouTube channel um, our, and how to stream us on Stitcher or iTunes. So thanks for listening. Thank you.